Good morning, Core Faith. It's good to be with you. Are you glad to be here? Yes. yes, amen. Give another praise to the Lord, please. Yeah, it's good. That's good. I don't care who you are. And after, when she was singing, I was wondering what, what song I was going to sing. <laughs> and then I decided God called me to preach, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm honored to be with you today. I have known your, uh, your bishop, uh, Pastor Jason, and his wife, Elaine, for a long, long time. Uh, we've been friends a long time, and because you were younger when we met. And now, at this season of my life, I get the opportunity to work with a lot of leaders, church leaders, and also just leaders across our, our wonderful nation, and helping them to do better what God has called them to do. Um, I want to just say, I'm proud of you, uh, Jason and Elaine. Thank you. And Alexis, I mean, you know, you're you, so. No, you're amazing. See, they have coffee and everything. You're an amazing young woman. Am I right, church? She, she is, really. Um, but thank you for what you do. Uh, no one can possibly understand the burdens you carry. And um, yet, as God gives us burdens, he also gives us great blessings that are wrapped in that. And today, even at the end of the service today, you will see some of that displayed in front of you. I mean, brought me to tears at the end of that first service. And I'm like, we're going to do that again because <laughs> it's that good. Aldo and Vanessa, God bless you because I know that not only do I respect you as an elder here, but I respect the fact that it takes a toll on the family and that there's a great sacrifice. But as the bricklayer who said he was building a cathedral, you have a calling on your life. And you guys know what I like best about these men? Now, if you're, not, if you're just visiting here, you don't know them. I like that not only are they fun to be around, and they're a bit crazy, but Jesus loves them. But I, but I like that they're humble. I like that they're men of the word, and I, and I like that they've, they're willing to follow Christ in faith. And I, I like the humility. You know, you meet some pastors, and they're not. You, you just think, they need a dose of humility. And yet, either the more important they become or we become, the, sometimes we can think so much of ourselves. I'm reminded of the story of the pastor who was very famous, or he was becoming more and more famous, so he was traveling more and more. And uh, you, anybody here travel recently? You know, you can buy airline tickets for dirt cheap, right? So you're all happy and you buy that airline ticket only to find out that, oh, did, did you want to pick your seat out? That's going to cost you. Oh, did you want early boarding? That's going to cost you too. Oh, you wanted to carry a change of clothes on? That's going to cost you. You wanted to do what? Put it, your luggage on board? That's going to cost you. You wanted to eat on that five-hour flight? We take credit and debit, no cash. <laughs> and if you don't have, if you don't have uh, credit or debit, you will starve on that flight. They'll pass you by. That car will be right here in your face, pass you right by. It's almost as though I get the sense that they're eventually going to say, did you want to wear clothes on this flight? <laughs> that's going to that's gonna charge you. Uh, that's going to cost you. And this pastor jumped on the plane. He was sitting there all proud, and the lady sat down beside him, and he said, uh, uh, hey, did you, um, so I see that you got a seat beside uh, a great-looking guy. Did, did it cost you to, to get that seat? And the lady said, well, I, um, I, it was, there was a fee for sitting next to a good-looking guy, and I was unwilling to pay it. I'll give you a minute. 
But it happens in life that as life happens, we, we realize that God can do amazing things through us normally when we are humble and we put ourselves in his hands. Oftentimes you'll find that there is a struggle that is involved in this, and that's why the passage we're going to read today is actually the basis for where this Clergy Appreciation Month came from. But you, you realize that God doesn't want this appreciation to just be one month or one weekend. He wants it to be a lifestyle. And we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And um, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump in this. Now, it's funny because I, I started wondering. I actually was praying about, well, what should I teach here? So, I don't know, maybe a month ago, Elaine, when I texted and said, I don't remember when it was. I said, hey, I feel like this is what I, I need to teach from. These seven verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 18. And uh, then I got to curious, where did this idea of Pastor Appreciation Month come from? And lo and behold, it was based on this passage where he says, look for those who are working hard among you and honor them. It actually is from verses 12 and 13 of, of chapter 5. But I got to wondering, because I, I jokingly think, well, Hallmark cards must have made up another appreciation month. There we go. It's five bucks for a card. I didn't spend that much on your card. I didn't even buy your card. My wife bought it. And I... <laughs> But it's, but it's a card, and I'm honest. I'm just cheap. So that's how. But I've come to find, and I, then I joked, well, no, actually paid me as a pastor that actually made up the month. They're tired of serving without appreciation. And the truth, and the truth of the matter is, it was actually pastors and clergy that, that came up with this idea of helping the church to right-size things. But it's not just about how we are behaving towards the pastors because the church is the body of Christ. It's how we behave with one another. And so he comes in, into this passage and he's going to tell us, this is how I want you to behave. This is how, this is how I want you to be towards one another because it's a brand, it was a brand new church. Now, before I launch into this, I thought I should help you by telling you what gifts not to get your pastors. You, would that be helpful? And honestly, if you've already, if you've already got one of these things, don't worry, just own it. Just, you know what I mean? Just, just be like, I don't care what he says. You're going you're gonna to love this. The first thing, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but the first thing is he doesn't really want praying hands. Now, some of you are looking down like this at that box. He doesn't really need something to display anymore. Because eventually, after being a pastor for 20-something years at one place, I'm like, I don't even know. Because I feel bad if people come in. They're like, well, where's that? I don't even remember what it was that they gave me. And I'm like, was it the, was it the tie? Because I don't wear that. Because it was ugly. That's why I don't wear it. But he doesn't want praying hands. He wants hands that pray. He does not want a leadership book where you walk up to him and say, Pastor, I've been praying, praying hard. And, and I thought of you when I read this book, and I thought you could really use this. That's, that's, that's not a blessing. That's just a curse. And he doesn't, and he doesn't, need, any, he doesn't need any ties either because you don't even, do you even wear ties anymore. Sometimes, though, right, when you want to just, like, go for it? Yeah. So, but not today. We're just, not today. But no ties and no clothes, unless you're his clothing coach. Just, 
just save it. Because here's what happens with a pastor. We actually do think, we care what people think. So we wonder, how many times do I need to wear this so it looks like I appreciate it and all? I mean, you know what I mean? And it's a burden. And, and if you're... Some of you need to get, give him the receipt with that tie. Because here's what, when you think of a pastor, you'll give him a tie with little, little Christian fish on it or a Christmas tree that's decorated. I'm like, am I supposed to wear this? So, and the answer is no. And if you're going to give him tickets to a game, make sure it's not a game that you're just giving him because you don't want to go and you don't know one's going to go and it's going to be Christian night. Because the teams aren't going to be any good. You know, give them, bless, bless them. You, you understand what I'm saying? And finally, don't give them a card with nothing in it but your signature. I mean, they love you. But I, but I think what you should do is write a nice note or type something really nice out and, and send it to them. And uh, at least, if you're just going to put your name, remember the scripture, the workman is worthy of at least a Starbucks card. And throw that in there. Am I right, Aldo? Absolutely, he's right. So when you jump into this passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, there is some background that may be helpful to you because otherwise it feels like you are jumping into why, why did the apostle teach this? The background is this. Paul had gone to Thessalonica. He converted a lot of people straight out of paganism. They had no church history. They didn't come from the church down the street. They came from fall, uh, full on paganism. And so this thing about faith in Christ was new, and they were also under persecution. But Paul had to leave abruptly. He had to leave quickly. So Paul assigned, we believe that he assigned elders to oversee these brand new Christians. And what Paul was doing is he was writing back to them and saying, okay, I want to, I want to encourage the new converts. I want to remind them about what happens when people die because either through persecution or just natural causes of death, they, people were dying. And they're saying, well, Jesus didn't come back yet, so what happens to people, my loved ones, when they die before Jesus comes back? And, and he wanted to explain that to them, but he also wanted them to understand how to live and how to be as a church. And what's interesting is if there was a theme in 1 Thessalonians, it would be that Jesus Christ is coming again. And aren't you glad? Do you know why we could sing the way we sing this morning? Because he's coming back. This is all worth, uh, worthless unless what we read in the scripture is absolutely true, and that is that Jesus died for our sins, was raised on the third day, he went back to live with the Father, and he's coming back for us. And if we die ahead of his return, we need to be reminded we get to be raised from the dead just as, he, as Jesus Christ was, and we're going to be with him for how long? forever, for eternity. But Paul wanted to remind him that, so much so that the end of every single chapter, one, two, three, four, and five, he talks about the coming of Jesus Christ. And with that background, I will read for you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As I was studying this over the past several weeks, I thought about that last line, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes in life we say, Lord, I need to know your will about it. I need, Lord, we, we, we're seeking for his direction and for, for clarity, and that's completely understandable. But there are so many things about which we don't need to pray. I've actually had people say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm going to pray about that. And I'm like, oh, you don't need to pray about that. It's just right here. What you need to do is, is you need to give thanks in all circumstances. But I don't like my circumstances. Oh, he didn't say if they were good or bad. Just from where you are, give thanks. See, we don't need to pray about that. We need to, we need to pray about your obedience is what we need to pray about. But he says, but pray continually, rejoice always. But then I got to thinking, you know, that's a powerful phrase. And if I would tack it on to the end, I could read through the entire, all the verses we just read. And I, I might add on. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For example, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Live at peace with those uh, uh, between yourselves, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? As we were singing today, I was, I was proud to be sitting beside Pastor Aldo, and I looked down here at you and your face. I was, I was thinking, this, this is because seed is sown over 17 years of ministry, right? This is because there's a lot of love and a lot of tears and, and a lot of just saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but keep using me. And this is a lot of I don't know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is a lot of, but it doesn't look like that out there. And God is saying, I'm not working at that out there. I'm working through you where you are right here in the lives of these people. It's a powerful, powerful passage. I want to read it to you from the message. Listen carefully. I think you can follow along on the screen. And now, friends, we ask you to honor those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them. I like this. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Now, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to warn. I know some people right there. My son living up in that bay. No, we're, get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted and pull them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs, and be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, <laughs> you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other. And always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens because this is what God wants for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is how he wants you to live. So what is our behavior supposed to be like towards our leaders? To whom is he referring? He's talking about elders. We believe he's talking about elders, and it could be anyone who is working hard among us, but we think specifically with the elders. And he says, respect them and honor them, and not because you have a personal relationship with them, like, ah, I respect them because, you know, I know him real well, and not even because you respect the position, but he says because you, you understand 
in some way, some form or fashion, I understand what you do. I understand the, the magnitude and the impact, and that's what got me at the end of the service this morning. When you see one life that was changed dramatically because God used you in that life. You didn't fix anybody. We didn't save anybody. We can't. We're just messengers. But look around and imagine, what if we all were messengers to just one other person? Just one other. And guess what? You are messengers for them. So what do you do? You need to hold these leaders in high regard, and you need to overwhelm them with appreciation and love. When do you need to do that? You need to do that always. And the bottom line, you need to live in peace with each other. You know, although a minister is surrounded by people all of the time, there are very few people who really understand the pressure of having to develop and research a sermon every week. It's like writing a term paper every single week, while at the same time you're striving to care for people and you're walking with their families and you're walking through not only uh, the exciting things that we celebrate in people's lives, but also the hardship in their lives. I get to be, uh, have conversation with pastors all across our country every single week. And I'm a part of a closed Facebook uh, um, network of 50, maybe 60 pastors. And um, recently, actually last week or the week before, one of the pastors named Angel Flores from, uh, I think he's from Colorado, um, he, he wrote this. He said, hey, fellas, I'm performing the pastor's trifecta this weekend. Uh, uh, Quinceanera, did I say that right? Was it perfect? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Thank you all so much. Anyways, I know who I am. That's why I asked. I know who I am. You see? Okay. That's who I am. So I did one of those, and he said, I'm going to do a wedding, and I'm also going to do a funeral, and also and then I'm going to preach twice tomorrow. And he says, I'm not looking for any answers. I just wanted to whine to people who would understand. <laughs> but you think pastors aren't going to comment on that? Another pastor responded, and I thought this was so perfect. He said, now, after reading that, part of me is thinking, Angel's going to be really busy this weekend. The other part of me is thinking, Angel's going to really eat well this weekend. <laughs> now, I personally, I personally... Uh, I'm very thankful because in all my years of ministry, there have been times where I've been shown great appreciation. Now, most of the appreciation has been in private, either through cards or through a phone call or conversation. But on one occasion, it was very public. And this is a story that I actually added into my book, 70 Seconds. And I want to share with you that story. It was my 20th anniversary in 2009 of being the senior minister of the Metro Church. Or it's it's it's. I refer to it as the church formerly known as Metro, but y'all know where it is. It's around the corner around there. But the leaders of the church had planned a very nice sit-down dinner for me uh, and my family in, in my honor. They even flew my mother in from Phoenix as a last-minute surprise for me. The place was packed, and I was humble. You don't know what to say because you look around, and there's this story, and there's that story, and suddenly he's like, oh, I forgot about that and this. But you're glad to see how God has worked in people's lives. And I got to tell you, uh, I was humbled, but it's, it was so nice to hear good things said about me before I was dead. And though, 
though I was in a season of ministry that was hard, the words of encouragement and honor that were spoken to me have stayed with me to this day. I, I even enjoyed the ribbing that night and roasting that went on as well because I'm a joker and, and you know, they, they gave it back to me in spades. But one particular man's words are precious to me even to this day. Tom Jarzinka, and some of you may know Tom and Melinda. They're very well known in our community. But Tom Jarzinka stood and reminisced about the funeral that I had done for his son, Zach, who was in high school. It was the largest funeral I'd ever done and probably ever will do. There were a couple of thousand people who attended that. And Zach and his girlfriend, Brittany Smith, both in high school, had died tragically in a car accident together. He just went around a corner too fast. Mike Bianchi of the Orlando Sentinel in May 17, 2002 wrote, they were two of the most popular and polite kids at Oviedo High. In fact, Zach is now buried across the street from Oviedo High School um, in the cemetery that is there. He was a wrestler, and if you go to his grave site, you'll see that they've, they've made his wrestling shoes as, as part of the uh, statue. People stood in line for five hours. Five hours. The line went all the way down Mitchell Hammock. They stood in line for five hours just to grieve with the family and to show their respects. And Zach and his brother had often come to church with their mother, but Tom really didn't ever very often uh, show up to church. And you should know, Tom is a friend of mine, and I had him approve this story before I put it into my book because it's very, it's very personal. And I wanted to make sure that the way I was remembering it was the way it happened. Um, so Tom and I, um, but he rarely ever attended with his family. His family came. He just, you know, he was, he was busy. In the weeks that followed the funeral, though, Tom and I talked a lot about God and Jesus' baptism. We had a lot of Bible study together, and I was honored to baptize Tom eventually. But I remember sitting at the, at the service. This is not in the book. But I remember sitting on the service at the front row, and Tom sat down beside me, and he was about to get up to speak. And how he did it, I have, I have no idea. But he was about to speak on behalf of his son. And they had just brought the casket in, and Tom came and sat down beside me. And in a moment that, that only a pastor will know, because they're very intimate, he took a deep breath, and he looked at me, and he said, I know exactly what I need to do to see my son again. And he stood up and he got up there and spoke. And I thought, I'm, and I prayed for him the whole time that he was up there speaking. And he stood then at, to speak of the church now, seven years after that funeral, he stood to speak in my honor. And he, he said, I want to, uh, when, he said, when people care for others the way this church cared for me and my family, it comes from the top down and it's not an accident. And then he stopped and he turned and he looked at me, square in my eyes, and he said, thank you. Sometimes appreciation is literally the thing that keeps you going one more day. The power of two words, thank you, have stayed with me ever since that moment. No one else would remember them. Why would they, right? Why would they even remember that? But I'll say it again. Sometimes appreciation is that fuel that keeps you going one more day. As a matter of fact, gratitude can also act like glue. It can hold a, a hurting marriage together, a strange friendship, or even a difficult work relationship. Gratitude, it never hurts to be grateful. It, it doesn't matter if you're all irritated at your husband. Be grateful about something. Find something. He finally picked up his undies and put them in the, where they go. 
Be grateful. And it doesn't matter, you know, you're irritated at, 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 uh, at one of your children. Be grateful about something. Gratitude is powerful. You go to the office and they'll think you're on crack if you, if you start being grateful to people who normally you're always griping about and irritated with. But they say, what's going on with you? You say, it's just I just wanted to point something out. I'm just very grateful for this or very, very grateful for that. He's not isolating this just to what happens in church, but he's saying, I want, you to be, I want you to be grateful. You know, so many people have the wrong idea about what it means to be a pastor. Some say, well, this pastor's an employee of the church. Nope. Some say, well, he's a team manager because we're all a team and we're going to bring it in. Nope. Some say, well, he's a CEO. That's not true either. Here's what the Word of God says. Your job is to prepare, prepare God's people for works of service. Their job, if they're doing it right, means the rest of us do our job. If they do their job right, the church thrives. If they do every job in the church, the church becomes sick and shrinks. But really, the Bible's understanding of the role of pastor comes down to one word. They're shepherds. Shepherds guiding and shepherds feeding. In fact, the term pastor is derived from a word which means the cure of souls. The cure of souls. A pastor is called by God. He's charged with feeding. He's charged with protecting. He's charged with leading, admonishing the sheep under his care. I've had the privilege of not only knowing from afar and watching core faith for I don't know, 15, 17 years probably, but I've seen behind the scenes as I've sat with the elders here and worked with them on so many things. And I see men dedicated through prayer and following the word of God. And this is something special and it is not common. And so when you have those who work hard among you, you should lift them up. You should encourage them. I came up with an acronym for, for LEAD because I see our job as pastors to lead and to lead well. It's more, it's more like a, uh, a, a personal trainer. You know, personal trainers aren't just trying to get you tired or prove how weak you are. They're trying to make you stronger. Am I right? They're trying to get you stronger. They're trying to get you where you can have more uh, uh, fortitude and where you're just, where you're more, where you're better fit. And that's, but are you tired at the end? Yes. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. But that's what a pastor is. A pastor is saying, no, we need to come and we need to study the word on this. No, we need to come and we need to pray about that. Why? You're just wearing me out. Well, you might find that you end up stronger at the end of that. And I've turned the word lead into an acronym. The L would be love the sheep. The E would be edify the sheep through God's word. Feed them so they can live well. A would be admonish the sheep. We don't much like this. But when there's correction needed, correct the sheep. Sometimes it's really easy. The shepherd would just put his staff out there. Uh, a pastor might say, no, we're not going to do that. And he turns, it turns the sheep. Other sheep, you've got you to deal a little more uh, directly and sternly with them. The D would be for direct the sheep. Why? Because without vision, people perish. Now, I know that this congregation appreciates your pastors. Am I right? Yeah. I'm right. Amen. I, I know. So you might ask yourself, what can I do for the pastors? And before I talk about the, the, the list that he gave us from verses 14, 15, and 16. No. Here's, here's, he didn't give me a list. Here, here's the thing. Number one, I would encourage you to get to just realize who they are. Get to know them. And by get to know them, I don't mean you have to go hang out at the house. That'd be weird, honestly, you know. Hey, I'm just here to get to know you. Go on about your business. It's fine. I'm going to see how, how you really live. But acknowledge this, that Jason Noraldo 
is somebody else. We live in a world that makes it hard on pastors because you have Instagram and you have Facebook and you've got all sorts of things. And not only can things be said that are, that are mean and, and, and inappropriate, but also you, you have some guys out there who are kind of like stars. And, and you don't realize they got whole teams of people behind them getting that 30-second video clip just right so that it looks just right out here. And they can present themselves in a way, don't try to, don't try to become that. You won't be good at that. But you can be really good at being you, right? Don't we want our pastors to be as good as they are? We want you to be the best you can be. So get to know them and, and realize, encourage them, they have been gifted by God in a certain way to do certain things. Boy, encourage them to be and do that. Number two, respect them. Respect him. Yes, he should be respectful and respectworthy, but that's what Paul tells us to do. He says, always speak honorably and respectfully about him. Why? Because he deserves our highest and best opinion about them. Why? He's a messenger of God to our soul. Not the only one who can speak into our life, but he's a messenger of God. Number three, pray for them. I am humbled when I think about over the years how many people have prayed for me every single day? It's not because I asked them to. We didn't have some ministry where they were going to, where we were required to. Did you pray for today for Dan? No. I said people who prayed for me. Why would you pray for them? Because you're taking him to the throne of grace. Because you're praying for that God would be powerful on his behalf. Ask God, let his messages be powerful and biblical and relevant. And Lord, I pray that you will help him to be humble. I pray that you'll help him to be patient and fill him with faith and joy and peace. And just pray that God will constantly renew his love for Christ and the church. There's power, power in that. Amen. And fourth, follow him as he follows Christ. And fifth, use your skills to bless him. Did you know that a pastor who can preach amazing is not good at everything? In fact, sometimes they're just good at one thing, and it's what you see them doing. But what I know is that, that, that life is not lived on a stage. If life is what you see on the stage from your pastor is only here on the stage, well, then it's empty and it's powerless. It's what happens behind the curtain. It's the prayer. It's the Bible study. It's the conversations. It's the relationship that makes what happened up here incredibly powerful. And number six, squelch the gossip. That may mean that some of you need to stop talking, but you got to squelch the gossip. If you hear a negative comment, you respond with a positive one. Gossip isn't wrong sometimes. It's wrong every time. Mis if misinformation is being uh, spread, you've got to speak to that. If you say, well, what is it? What do I do if I've got a problem with one of our leaders? I say, go to 1 Timothy 5 and follow it. I don't have time to go through this morning, but follow it and do what it says. But squash the gossip. Every leader faces criticism, y'all. But the modern preacher experiences more criticism than previous generations. Why? Because social media facilitates hurtful comments. It only takes one, and then somebody else piles on. An email makes the, the, the preacher vulnerable. Do you know what I discovered about my computer? I used to have people who would spend hours, days, writing a three, four, five-page email to me. I learned that I had a delete button. How many of y'all know this is true? 
I, don't, I will talk to anybody about anything, and I'm going to encourage you all. You have something you need to talk to the pastors about? Make, make an appointment and come sit face to face. You may read the letter to them, but this way, but this way, there's relationship that takes place. This way, it's healthy. And finally, live at peace with each other. That just takes work, doesn't it? Live at peace with each other. So we know that the church is not all about the pastor and, or, or the elders. We know that it's about all of us. So what should be my behavior towards everyone else in the church? I'm going to give you a list. It'll be on the screen. You can just make note, and then we'll close. We know that the church has some people sometimes who are idle or disruptive. We're not talking about you, clearly, because you're here. But they're idle or disruptive. But he says these are loafers. These are freeloaders. These are, I think what Paul is talking about here, because I think, did he just call some people out? Because I think what he's talking about is there are people who were so excited about the coming of Christ that they stopped working. They quit their job. And they, they became a burden to the church. Now the church has to support them. Because Paul says, oh, no, 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 you need to warn them that they're about to get real hungry. So he says, what you need to do is if somebody, but can somebody get, be, be disruptive in other ways? Of course, they need to be warned carefully. Why? Because that's the way the body of Christ works. Number two, there's a, there's a group that can be very timid. These folks don't make waves in the church, but they're struggling. Maybe they're disheartened and they're timid about how they express their faith. These people need some courage put back in them. They don't need a big speech. They sometimes just need you to come alongside them. And if they're crying, just cry with them. I, I, the way I'm wired up, I don't know how that helps, but it does. It's amazing. And if they're joyful, just rejoice in how God is at work in their life. But there's some people who are timid, and they just need you to come alongside them and help them up. And then there's some people who are weak, and, and these people just... They don't need to be overcome. They just need to be accepted. You have some people who are weak in their faith because they've just come out of that paganism, paganistic world, and I think that's what he was talking about here. But he says, don't try to tell people, you need to do this, and you need to have the faith of that, and you need to just give them space to grow. Give them space to grow and help them, encourage them, and give them a hand to their feet. And finally, he makes this sweeping statement. He just goes, I want you to be patient with everybody, regardless of whether you're a believer, a follower, uh, 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 you're somebody who's just, you're, you're weak. Just be patient. Patience, patience is one of those things that I think I am, but I'm sure I'm not, you know? And before you, before you say that you're a patient person, let me remind you of the definition. Patience is this. When you're able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious, I can confidently say, that's not me. How many in here? Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. That means that leaders and followers, regardless of who we are, he just says, I want you to know this is how I want you to live your life. And what's interesting is I am often, uh, I can find myself being impatient and rather than, being, or rather than being patient with somebody, I could just find myself trying to fix people. And I did that early on in my marriage. Um, my wife is here with me, so she can say if this is true or not. It is. And, um, <laughs> but we were, we were just married, living in Dallas, and, uh, and she gets to places on time just after it's time, you know what I mean? But it's just like right upon, I like to be real early. So... Um, one morning, I thought we were, it was Sunday morning. I wanted, I needed to get to the church on time. Actually, I needed to get there early. So I thought, well, what I would do is I'll set our clock ahead 10 minutes. And so I did that, and I waited patiently. 
because I'm a Christian. For us, and I waited patiently for us to be early to church. And so she was getting dressed, and I was waiting patiently, and we were both listening to the radio. My plan was working flawlessly until the radio announcer, until the DJ told the time. And she was listening, and she said excitedly from the, bed, from the other room, and I'm in the living room, she said, oh! she said, Danny, our, our clock is 10 minutes ahead. And I said, what? <laughs> A little lesson. Sometimes you're guilty. Don't cop to it yet. Just give the Spirit of God room to work. I said, I said, what? Because I was so innocent. <laughs> And, 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 sh and after a pause, she said, I said, oh, really? I just, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then she said, now I have time to eat breakfast. <laughs> and she did. And it turns out that I learned patience, and we were later that Sunday than we would have been otherwise. Because <laughs> instead of just being patient with her, I tried to fix her. And everybody needs patience, even your pastors. And as pastors, give us patience, be patient with us while we're being patient with you, right? See how that works? And finally, he writes in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Just always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Don't retaliate. And you want some attitudes that work? Write these down. We've already gone over them. Be joyful always. Pray continuously. And just be thankful no matter what your circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, as we close, I'd like to pray over you the last uh, couple of verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. Would you please stand with me and we shall, I'll pray over you. If you would, please bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this church and the congregation. I thank you for Jason and Elaine, for uh, Aldo and Victoria. I thank you, Father, for all of the men and all of the women who serve faithfully. And Father, I pray that you will continue to fill this place with your Holy Spirit, with each one, into each one, that you would not only work in them, but you would work through them. And I pray that God himself the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together we say, amen, amen. amen. Give God praise. And if